back to what we first said is, you know, you, the real you has to come out at some point. I mean, you can't, you can't live a lie all of your life. Free to Grow in Forestry, a podcast working to move forestry forward. Canadian Institute of Forestry and the Center for Social Intelligence proudly present the Free to Grow in Forestry podcast. The Free to Grow in Forestry initiative was launched to create a diverse and inclusive workplace culture where all Canadians feel they belong. We believe strongly that inclusive cultures not only strengthen our Canadian forest sector economy, but also create resilient and healthy communities. This podcast seeks out guests from all aspects of the forest sector, from the C-suite to every part of the underrepresented communities, to open up the dialogue on issues of concern and points of view so that everyone has greater knowledge and understanding of each other. By unearthing these discussions, we hope to stimulate greater empathy and respect for all people, opening up the forest sector to be more welcoming and accepting of everyone. For our second episode, we are pleased to be joined by our host, Kelly Cooper, founder and CEO of the Center for Social Intelligence, and our guest, Richard Dominey, who recently retired from a position with the Government of British Columbia's Ministry of Forests, Lands, Natural Resource Operations, and Rural Development as the Manager of Business Applications for Timber Sales. Richard is also currently the President of the Canadian Institute of Forestry and President of the Forest History Association of British Columbia. We are eager to hear more from Richard as he shares his experiences as a gay man in the forest sector and how we can all work to be more accepting of the LGBTQS2 community and underrepresented groups. This session was recorded live on May 25th, 2021. Welcome everyone to the Free to Grow podcast. Today I am very happy to be joined with Richard Domine. Richard is a long-standing forest sector employee, I think post now in uh, retirement. However, uh, he will be speaking with us today about his experience as a gay man in the forest sector. So welcome, Richard. Thank you. Very happy to have you here today and to talk to our listeners, because as you know, the Free to Grow podcast is all about sharing people's stories from underrepresented groups and trying to create a greater understanding so that people will be more accepting and ultimately so that people like yourself can feel they belong in the forest sector. So I wanted to start today um, just to look at what it was like for you growing up. Can you just give us a little context of what life was like for yourself in those earlier days? You know, I, you know, I, it, it took probably a long time to really, you know, determine that who I really was. So, and I think that happens a lot. Um, I, I do know that, um, you know, I, uh, I always like to hang around the girls at school, you know, um, mm-hmm. but I had, I had male friends too, you know, and, uh, and so, um, and some of those those friends, the girlfriends, I mean, are um, my friends now. I mean, Susan, who's my long term, longest term. We've known each other since we were about three and a half or four. And so, um, yeah, it's it, it's awesome. So, not really an issue. I mean, it was Alberta and a small town Alberta, and so of course it uh, was probably a, a bit well, a lot rednecky kind of of, of mm-hmm. a. Point. 
And but I really didn't think much about it, you know, and um, because there wasn't much conversation about that, you know. Mm-hmm. So we kind of just charged along, and then, you know, over time, you you determined that you had a lot of interest in those guys as they went by, you know, <laughs> or at the beach or whatever. I lived on a, I lived, I was so fortunate. I lived on a creek. And so everybody came down to the creek, you know, every week, you know, weekend or all summer, basically we were there rafting, you know, building rafts and swimming and doing all those things. Sounds and idyllic. It was, you know, and, uh, you know, um, and my, 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 I think I told you, but my world was sort of t- turned a bit upside down when I was 12. And so my mother committed suicide and uh, that, you know, things changed drastically at that time. Oh, yeah, for and, sure. And, uh, you know, and that's not what this conversation is really about, but but it shapes you. Right? Sure. Shapes you about, um, you know, your life and so on. And uh, so many people were so good to me, you know, in terms of pulling them into me, into their families and doing things with them and so on and so forth. Right. And um, did you have siblings? Like, do you have siblings? No, no. Okay. No, not at all. And, um, but I was thinking about this the other day and on this sort of subject because, you know, we see lots of things about, you know, youth youth and uh, parental suicide and so on and so forth and you know i don't know what it is it's just internal strength or what it what it is that just allows you i mean it it never i always am very open about that i always talk about that Mm -hmm. and but you see lots of people that really really struggle and you know have a horrible life uh, you know and they'll always revert back and tell you that story you know and how terrible it was yes it was but but you know, like you pick up and you get on. That's um, mm-hmm. sort of said, you know. I mean, yeah, we're in charge of of your life, right? So, it's true. It's true. And it may be for different age people when it hits people at different ages, it impacts them differently and that decision making. And it's like, you know, and uh later latter years, you know, and not because I went to a psychologist, but several of them have told me the worst thing that can happen to a boy is to lose his mother when he's in early puberty and mm-hmm. send- girl with her father and so it's a it's a really major impact yeah right so really i had a grand childhood i really did so no no regrets there but i think i told you the last time when we were were chatting (laughs) i uh you know from the from work we found uh, a video uh we were watching lightning and we were recording it and so on and so forth and having a barbecue and and so there you know, I'm making salad or whatever, and I'm in these short shorts and this tight, tight T-shirt. And <laughs> and my partner Greg, you know, was killing himself laughing. He says, "Oh, and you thought you weren't gay? No, <laughs> hey, really, you know, <laughs> yeah. it was obvious to everybody else. <laughs> it was obvious to everybody else. But those um, those times of work, you know, uh, I worked in um, small places, but they were you know, you didn't just stick your head up that you, you know, you just kind of, you were there to do a job and you did the job. Didn't matter about anything else. So with your mom passing early in your life, did you think that had any, any impact on your ability to come out from, you know, I mean, I know that she would be, she would have just like us, we'd be having a discussion. And she said, 
that's who you are, then that's who you are. Yeah, very accepting then. I mean, she she was so far ahead of her time. You know, mm. things that she discussed and other other families would just cringe because, you know, the boys would come and we'd all sit around like we come back in the swimming hole starring and you have tea mm-hmm. or coffee or chocolate or whatever. And of course, then there's the conversation and she mm-hmm. would always straighten out people with those crazy ideas that your parents were telling you. Like, oh, really? So she was a straight shooter? I from like Santa Claus, you know, I came home one day and I said, you know, that is impossible. There's no way that somebody could fly around the entire world in a sleigh with a bunch of reindeer. I mean, that, I said, that's just not physically possible. And she said, well, yeah, I thought you'd come to that conclusion sooner or later. But um, <laughs> and she said, it's fun. And she said, don't you go and spoil it and spoil it for any other little kids, because mm-hmm. that's the joy of Christmas. And, mm-hmm. uh, and so was your dad, was your dad um, a figure there for you that was also supportive in you being a gay man? I would say not. I mean, I no, absolutely not. I mean, I never, ever discussed that with him because, I mean, he was so homophobic that, you know, (laughs) right. Mm -hmm. And uh, I I, know I never I never ever broached that subject with him. So uh, (laughs) and is he he's no longer around? I'm assuming three. And, uh, you know, I guess in some ways that that was probably a good thing. We never had to. uh, <laughs> that discussion. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Okay. So you entered the workforce. You're in the forest sector, and you were working for the corporate side, like the uh, out in the bush, or were you? Oh, I started um, in the government. Give yeah. us a little picture of your work so once experience. I, once I graduated, uh, 1981, and um, I was so fortunate. That was a good year because, of course, some some years it's good for hiring, and others not. And so within weeks. I got a call from uh, the Forest Service in Cranbrook and said, will you please come down for an interview? And by the time the interview was over, well, thank you, you're hired. Um, you should go look for an apartment. <laughs> Perfect. <laughs> yes, yeah. it was, it, it was um, yeah, and Cranbrook, if you, if you have been there, I mean, it's just a beautiful, spectacular place. I haven't been there. So you need to take a trip someday. You yeah. Know? Um, so beautiful place, about 20,000 people. And um, in the Kootenays, so the East Kootenays. So, so at this point, you're like 21 years old or so. And have you just like, or what, are, what age are you then? I'm just trying to think. 1981, 65, 65, 75. Yeah, yeah. Uh, just under 20, actually. Uh, okay. And, and at this point, you're fully aware of who you are as a baby? Or no? Really. No? Okay. I think that predominantly, I uh, still knew how... Uh, sort of cautious that you had to be and in this sector I mean the guys that I worked with you know I mean you know you can imagine there you know this one guy Mark I mean he's bushy bearded he's a mining guy and you know and Craig they all were bearded guys and big strong muscular bearish type guys right and Mm -hmm. it came up like I you know as it doesn't need to like I don't I don't when I meet people I don't don't ask what they do in the bedroom. (laughs) Well, I agree. And I think that's one of the important messages of explaining these stories is that we're here to work. We're not here to discuss what we do in the bedroom. And frankly, it's completely irrelevant. It is irrelevant, right? Mm -hmm. And and you know, when you're, when you have a friend, they're a friend, it doesn't matter what 
you know, what they are, where they come from. And, and that's why probably I have such a hard time about, well, I can't even figure out all of the pronouns, to be perfectly honest. And I, I just can't understand, you know, why it, it has to be so front and center, because, mm-hmm. you know, it's sort of like, it, it, like it's pushing it into somebody else's face. And so, um, you know, anyway, that's just... Yes, I, I I can understand that. And and I think the point we're just underlining is we're here to work. You know, I guess for some people who don't want to be stereotyped into the he or she categories, they're the ones who want to be seen as they because they feel that they can, as a woman, perform like a man's in a man's job and they don't want to be judged to not be capable. And so if they present as a they, perhaps they feel there's a greater opportunity for acceptance to do both roles that we normally have so stereotyped. You know, I, if one of my friends said that's, you know, what they chose to be. And so we'd have a short conversation and say, so what am I calling you? Okay, that's fine. Okay. Okay. Move on. You know, Mm -hmm. you know, so you'd accept them for, for who they are. But like I said, those are still early days. And so that really never really came up in conversation. And, you know, they were all great people to work with. And I don't ever recall it really ever being an issue in the in the early years. And then the later years, I mean, basically, you know, I started to know who I was. And when the closest friends knew who I was, and, and then we just sort of carried on. And the other day I was talking to... Um, I'm, also part a member of an organization, kind of a worldwide organization called Prime Timers, which is a sort of mid mid-age to older age gay men's organization all over the world. And I, I, I said to one of Greg's friends, Bruce, who's part of that a director, and I said, Oh, I'm doing this uh, podcast, um, you know, and he just said, he just lit up. He said, Oh, that is just the best thing. That is wonderful. Right? That is. That's excellent. That's a great reaction. So what was his what was his motivation behind that? What's what's he getting at? And I said that I thought that it was going to be released during Pride Week or somewhere in there. And yeah. he said, Oh, that's the best. He said, you know, we have to get out and just talk to people and just exactly be ourselves. And, and he said, Good for you. And he said that so many people, he said, you know, he says, I know it's not you that wouldn't talk to somebody about it. Uh, but he says so many people. They're not going to say anything to anybody, right? So but let's I, explore. Let's explore that just a little bit. So you're obviously. Oh, Corey, sorry. Go ahead. I just wanted to make one comment because the struggle isn't over. Because I was just. I have friends in Brazil, and and I was watching the news the other day. A teacher was murdered in Brazil because of his sexuality, and I just go, it's it's not over. Mm-hmm. That's not. That's over. horrible. Mm-hmm. I, and I know there's other countries that are way worse than that, too. You know, I chat with guys that you wouldn't, like they tell me, you wouldn't dare even infer, right? You wouldn't even look sideways at another guy. You just wouldn't do that in their country. So what is the what is the fear that you think most people are feeling? Or what do you think causes people to react that way? You know, that's an awful good question. You know, I think it's... There's sort of the part of being different, like those people are different and I don't understand it. And so sometimes you react in a very negative way because of that. We see that, you know, not not to do with sexuality, but I mean, you know, just redneck places, whether it be in the United States or or even in some of our provinces, um, there's some pretty strong attitude about certain things. Mm-hmm. 
I just shake my head and I go, where does that come from? Like, mm-hmm. why, would you, why would you pick on somebody just to do that, right? Mm-hmm. That they have a different belief than you do. And mm-hmm. that religious, I mean, it's got nothing to do with sexual. It could be religious, right? Mm-hmm. It's a crazy, crazy kind of thing. And you sort of think, oh, you know, I mean, the, sort of the Harvey Milk story and all the good things that he did and so on. But then we have, you know, our man that basically saved us during World War II, and what did they do? They they chemically castrated him. And he's now been honored, you mm-hmm. know, and the wonderful movie made about him. You know, it kind of tears me up. I mean, it's like... Sure, it's tragic. He was he was so smart, and he basically pulled you through mm-hmm. World War II, mm-hmm. and you just tortured him. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, yeah. This, this, and to some degree, this still goes on. So you sort of ask... What was my biggest sort of, you know, fear and whatever is you hear the stories where people are taken out and that young man, he was, you know, tied up to a barbed wire fence and, and murdered, right? Mm-hmm. So that's the biggest fear, I think, that any gay man, gay young man has, has. So for you to feel confident then, given that context, to come out and declare yourself a gay man, you obviously had certain conditions surrounding you to give you that comfort maybe you could talk to us a little bit about that because essentially that's what we're trying to create here in the forest sector is an environment or a workplace where people feel that they can be their true selves right and and feel that they are safe not just physically but emotionally psychologically to be their themselves and that they will be supported and and ultimately feel like they belong so maybe you could share a little bit about your experience of how you came out as a gay man and and what environment you had working for you to to create so I, that. I was just so very, very fortunate. I I had a long-term friend um, who, you know, we sort of just slipped into slipped into a, a, a ten-year heterosexual relationship with Leslie, and we talked about this all the time. I mean, she recognized. She said, "You know, I see how you look at those guys." <laughs> oh, really? Yeah. Oh, yeah. And so we talked. About all the time we talked about that. And so she she encouraged, she said, you know, you just have to, you know, be who you are, you know. Mm-hmm. And she said, you are so highly thought of by your friends, it will not make any difference. It, it right. And so that would just be my my comment to anybody. Hopefully they have friends that are very supportive and are sort of doing exactly the same thing to say, you really do need to just stand up and say, I'm done. This is how it is. You know, this is who I am. And I know it's not always so easy when you have cultural, like parent, you know, you come from a culture. I know young men who are 40 years old and they don't dare tell their mother. And I go, well, I said, most mothers already know. You have to understand. Yes. <laughs> right? Yep, for sure. Fathers, not so much, but, but mm-hmm. mothers. I can remember, I'm just thinking of a story I can remember in university. I was living with three other girls and a guy. We engaged this guy because we had an extra room to come and live in and, and rent out from the same place as us. We spent, it was just a year. It was our final year. Later on, he was a British guy, but he was from Zimbabwe. And I ended up traveling to Africa later, a couple of years later. So I went and visited him and his family and they had a beautiful ranch and so forth. Um, but he was like, took me for a drive and... He said to me, now, Kelly, I have to tell you something. You know, I am gay. 
I just looked at him like he was crazy. I said, I have known that for a long time. Uh, Why are you telling me this now? So I think that's true. There's a lot of people can see that in others that they may not realize they're seen. But in a corporate culture, for example, okay, so we want to create a workplace culture where you have that comfort to talk to someone, I mean, perhaps an executive to ensure, like if this is not a known thing in the, in the organization, for example, there is an acceptance right now, let's say in an organization that is maybe has a culture of saying inappropriate comments or just not open to that. What would you offer up to those in an executive position that they should do in order to change that workplace culture? Well, I believe by example in everything you do, right? And mm-hmm. So role modeling. In that executive position, I mean, in all of your conversations, and it's and it's probably rarely the workplace conversations. It's when you go to an event, you know, you're staying out at a resort for a few days and there's alcohol and, you know, that's when all those kind of crazy things often come out that should never have come out you know you mean inappropriate comments is that what you mean my experience okay alcohol flows and when things are a lot right but within the workplace i mean it's you've got your cubicle come monday to friday 8 30 to 4 30 whatever and and the and the tone now government is, is a bit different because the tone is just that is just unacceptable i mean you actually sign off a sheet and you you talk me i mean you sign off that this is the culture of it's the code of conduct here, and this is the way it is. And if there's anything otherwise, there will be repercussions. Exactly. Yeah. Right. Which I think is reasonable. And I think a lot of organizations have that, but they don't necessarily enforce it. So that that's may be correct. the differential. I think that that's certainly a starting point. Mm-hmm. But by leading by example, I mean, you know, I think you'd be hard pressed any executive that, that they don't have gay or lesbian friends somewhere in in their family or or neighbors or whatever, right? Right here, you know, we moved in here and we were all excited because we have two gals that have been living together for 40 years and they are awesome neighbors. They just <laughs> awesome. And, uh, but we don't say, are you lesbian? You know? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. We, we have to assume that you live together so you probably are, right? Mm-hmm. You know, unless somebody opens up to you mm-hmm. about their home life or, you know, thinking of leaving their wife and, you know, because they want to take off on a, a new journey, you know, mm-hmm. something like that. I mean, largely, you know, when you're working, that that stuff isn't even on the, you know, you just don't talk about that. Mm-hmm. You know, somebody wants to, they know you're a gay man, they'll go and say, can you go for a walk? And like you said, you know, that they will be expressive and they will ask questions and say, how did, how did this work for you? Or, or what should I do? Or I'm, I'm feeling this way or I, whatever. Right. And mm-hmm. there's lots of resources available too. And so that's the other thing probably executives should know is where are these resources available? You know, mm-hmm. you know, if we, if we have to have questions regarding this, where, where are the best resources? And those are resources for learning. Is that what you're referring to? Uh, and also, um, you know, these days, in pretty well every organization. I mean, we know that, I mean, you probably know that there are gay guys in, in your organization. So if if you thought somebody was struggling, I mean, that would be probably a good thing if you if they were willing to link them up and they can, you know, have a conversation about about that kind of thing in the, in the workplace at all. But ultimately, 
there is no place for any, whether it be religious or cultural or whatever. And lots of us have trouble with that. You know, there's a whole the whole bunch of emotions that come through. But that gets down to, again, an education piece, I think, because it's a cultural dynamic. It's a cultural difference. And although we may feel it is not serving our needs, we need to be empathetic and think about their ability to be their authentic selves at the workplace and what it means for them if they have religious overtones that that makes them feel uh, comfortable, um, whatever it may be. It's an awareness, again, about educating ourselves, whether it's with what it is to be a gay man or what it is to be an Indigenous person or what it is to be a new immigrant in Canada. But it's creating that awareness and getting some education about the cultural differences or the gender differences, whatever it is, right? But it's, it's, I think, to be remaining curious so that when we do accept, see people who aren't like ourselves, we aren't entering into that conversation with our own agendas or our own fears, perhaps. You know, we need to think maybe about what is their, what is going on for them and how, how can we learn? So why is it, you know, ask questions, right? What is it like for you to wear a burqa? You know, what is it like for you to be a gay man here? What can we do better? What, what is hindering you from bringing your true self to work? What can we do to make that happen? It's important that I think we remain open-minded and, and um, like I say, curious. I know for the times I've done a lot of travel in, into India and many places that are foreign land, you could say, than where we are here in Canada. Um, it's done me so much good because I, I just have different perspectives, right? And I, I'm now very, not only grateful for what we have in Canada, but much more accepting of what other people have endured frankly, in some other cultures and what they've had to experience. And then just sort of an appreciation for what they're doing here in Canada, like what it's taken for them to come here. But for those who have just gotten here, it's them. This is them. It is. And, uh, you know, it's it's uh, rather interesting, too. But I'm just saying that, you know, as we know more, and we had a neighbor in Victoria who um, was Islamic. And I always thought, you know, being in school and you're the only one that has that, you know, that's tough. Yeah. You know, when every other kid's got a baseball cap on or whatever, you know, it is because I remember, and this is simple. I mean, coming from the UK and, you know, the things that my mother would want me to wear or certain shoes or whatever. And I said, Oh, nobody wears that. Mm -hmm. Yeah. You don't want to look like the oddball. I Mm -hmm. I don't want those kind of running shoes, right. You know, and so you can, I mean, spoke the same language, came from the same culture, you know, everything, but it's still, there's differences when you emigrate, right? For sure. For sure. So it sounds like if I can, I mean, you've captured so many things here today, Richard. I mean, we've delved into all kinds of parts of, I would argue, the underrepresented groups that we are working toward creating greater inclusion in the forest sector right now. So people with mental health, you've touched upon. So that's the unseen persons with disabilities, obviously being a gay man, as well as we've even talked a little bit about new immigrants and how that can play out for people's reactions. But just to get back to your storyline um what is it that you'd like to leave people with like i'm not sure it sounds like your workplace was pretty safe in the sense that nobody really picked on you for being gay it sounds like you had a very accepting environment from which you could comfortably be yourself right and what are the i'm not sure you had a hard experience that way but you know of people who have as you've shared 
But what are the key messages you'd like to leave people with on that note? Going back to what we first said is, you know, you're, the real you has to come out at some point. I mean, you can't, you can't live a lie all of your life. I mean, it really, you need to have people who you're, you can have confidence in and you need to tell them and then it expands and so that more people know and whatever. That's one thing. I, I don't think you could, oh, I mean, it must be terrible going through your entire life and not being that realistic person to say, I, I am, you know, a gay man or whatever. I mean, I still, I have older friends that, you know, think that uh, Greg and I are just just friends, and we just are roommates, and that's and that's what they believe. And I'm that's not, all they're prepared to accept right now. <laughs> I'm not trying to convince them differently. I mean, it doesn't matter. And they have two uh, friends that are two women that live together, and they definitely are because I know Barb and Shirley really well, and we talk about this kind of thing. But but lots of their friends, they just think oh, they're just friends. They're just friends, right? And but that's that's as much as they can you know, accept at the time, right? Mm-hmm. So other than that, you need people who you can have like confidants, right? I mean, during that period of time, you need to have people that, that maybe are gay men or women that you could talk to and, you know, freely about anything. And and that that's super important. And And they'll give you the confidence to one day put the flag up and say, well, this is who I am. And as I told you, that my experience, you know, and I have, I have some really redneck friends. And, you know, like RCMP, we're in Bosnia, we're in, on big missions. I mean, bomb squad, you know, the guys that have seen the blood and the guts of life, right? Mm-hmm. And my, my good friend, Larry, he just said, I don't care who you sleep with. He said, you've been my friend for 30 years. And he says, like, that's not going to change. And I think that's the other key. And if somebody does have a problem with it, then they truly aren't your friend. So Yeah, well, I think we're blessed in this country to have acceptance for it in the first place. So people who may listen to this podcast could come from other parts of the world. This is going to be accessible to anyone. But we have to recognize that our government, first and foremost, is creating that safe space for that so that people aren't like the mention that you had in Brazil being killed for being gay. So we're lucky in that regard. We are blessed with um, a government that creates that safe space, you could say. But when it gets to the companies, that's what we're ta- we were talking about. How can we get organizations to really shift their workplace culture to be more accepting of gays? And you've mentioned the role modeling, the code of conduct. That's important. Providing training and resources to create that acceptance. And, and maybe what it comes down to is a, a phrase I'm just making up here, but an acceptance bandwidth. So some people just don't have the same bandwidth for getting their heads around change, right? And, and change isn't for everyone. Everyone, like you can have change overload and in a workplace environment, perhaps, you know, there's certain stereotypical personalities, let's just say, who are quite happy with the heterosexual workplace environment and they do not want to accept one more thing. If you're going to impose training on me now to accept all these underrepresented groups, why do I have to do that? It's got nothing to do with my job. But it's really important, I think, that these guys do that because it will create that psychological safe space at the workplace where it ha- where, where people haven't felt they can bring their true selves to work. And there's statistics now that show that if you can do that and you can comfortably do that, the performance of each individual and team accelerates a lot. Like a, it's crazy. It's like 50%. So it's really important that we, even if we are people who say, well, it doesn't really matter 
what it's like in the workplace, they need to see, signal, I guess, how things that it create that workspace where people can feel they can be themselves because that will create comfort and belonging. Well, I think also, you know, we were talking about, you know, code of conduct. And I mean, those are all great. They're written on a piece of paper and, and maybe there's a little training, five minute kind of thing that you have to go through or whatever. But, but the biggest the biggest thing is when your executive leaders or your you know supervisors, district manager, CEO, whatever it be, that they not in a pushy way, but once in a while they just keep reminding people of those differences, right? Whether they could be cultural, they could be some of the country from a different country, um, religion, you know, sexuality. There's all sorts of ways to mm. talk about that. But just just to sometimes, you know, sometimes when you're sitting around a, a fire, sometimes you just need to say, you know, we have to be very understanding and inclusive. Mm-hmm. And uh, sometimes we find it difficult, right? I mm-hmm. mean, I think it's easy to. I, I, I mean, if you're if you're a good communicator, then it's easy for you to be able to do that. And not just because you get pushed up the ladder as an executive doesn't make you doesn't give you this skill set. Like yeah, that's right. Mm-hmm. I've had managers that are, they really should be fired. I mean, mm-hmm. they, they really should never have ever got there. Mm-hmm. And, but ultimately, you know, you know people in your in your past organizations that now that person would have just been the best. Right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, right. And I, I don't know if that answers your questions or not, but uh, it's not an easy topic. And, and we just have to keep working slowly, moving forward. Yes, yeah, so I think the awareness is key. And, and just having your stories shared here today and talking about what it was like for you. I mean, I, it sounds in general that you were pretty fortunate with your experience. I don't know that all people oh. um, have that smooth ride. So it's important that we can signal to those people, of course, the, that our conversation here in the forest sector is trying to make that difference. It's trying to make that safe space to allow people to feel comfortable. And the more we can educate people from senior executive positions right on through to the middle managers who are often considered the most resistant to any change um, to the to the frontline workers, we need to be um, creating that awareness so that this change can happen and and really recognizing everyone is just here to work regardless of their sexual orientation yeah or and all the other issues the you know different religions and different beliefs and Mm -hmm. and so that's um that's all part of trying to work together and it's not always easy especially if somebody's trying to push their agenda like you also, as gay individuals, have to be rather cautious about that. Is not everybody's really that interested in listening to you about, you know, you know, mm-hmm. what Bob this weekend. You yeah, know? <laughs> because they 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 have a different kind of set of values, right? Mm-hmm. Anyway, you know, or religion or anything, right? It's it's a uh, the workplace is a tough place. But I did want to sort of just throw something out, Kelly, because. You know, we've been working at home and we're away. And the talk around the water cooler, I mean, that's sort of the expression mm-hmm. I always use. Yes. You find out lots of things about the organization, but, but that's where you actually get to get to know some of the people, don't mm-hmm. you? Know? Mm-hmm. For sure. What their what their kids are doing, and then they, and that makes it real. Like these are people, it doesn't matter if they're from Nigeria or if they're from wherever, because you can ask them questions, you know, what did you make for supper last night? Oh, that sounds interesting, but I've never had that, you know, or whatever. I don't. Mm-hmm. It's all part of 
being part of the workforce. And, and that is sort of blown away. I was reading some stats the other day that there's a majority of employees that actually want to go back to the, back to the office. Uh, mm-hmm. Oh, for sure there are. That social interaction is critically missing right now. That study where it said we're missing out on promotion because you, you often hear at the office, you hear about, oh, there's a position opening up in that sector or this sector or the other thing. And mm-hmm. that's not happening anymore. Mm-hmm. It's true. So. Very true. It's, it's also the body language. And that's what we're missing. Like we can get the face on screen here today, but we're not getting the energy no. from bodies. I think that's a thing. And when you're in the same room, you either bring that like you feel you can take the positive energies or alternatively, you can take the negative energies, right? So we're missing those dimensions to our workplace right now, for sure. Very odd world we've had for a couple of years, that's for sure. Yes. Well, thankfully, it looks like we're emerging out from oh, it. Yes. Oh, yes. Thank goodness for that. Absolutely. Well, thank you very much, Richard, for your time today. I appreciate all your insights and thoughts and suggestions and uh, and sharing your your story. Uh, you went into a few other things, which I find also very interesting. And we actually have something in common that way. My I, my brother took his life um, about 16 years ago now. And um, <clears throat> it's a different experience um, than most experience. And But I completely understand and empathize with um, with what you've been through because it is, for me, it was life-altering. Um, marks you 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 never will be the same correct and although i am of the same resilient spirit that you spoke of in terms of you just choose to go forward it nevertheless is an indelible imprint in your life and in your heart and when you can speak openly about that then i think you create uh, a destigmatization of it right and and i think that's what we're doing on all kinds of topics we're crossing here today and it's important to just keep the conversation going. And the more we do that, the more people can take those jittery energy buzzes that go through our bodies uh, with nerves or anxieties about the topic. And it just quiets the body, right? And we can just start to be truly in our skin and creating that um, presenting in our true authentic self. You know, I think that it's it's good to have these sort of open conversations and, and lots more of them. So thank you. Always a pleasure to talk to you. One day, perhaps we'll meet in person, pick up that positive energy vibe and all kinds of conversations. Happy Pride Month. Yes. Well, thank you for the opportunity. Gender, diversity, and inclusion are crucial to the advancement of a thriving and resilient forest sector. As we continue to grow and change, we all have a role to play in making our sector a place where everyone has the support they need to succeed and thrive. For more information on how you can take action and help make a difference, follow Free to Grow in Forestry on social media or visit us at www.freetogrowinforestry.ca. And if you have a story you think should be heard about an experience you have had or what you'd like to see happen in the Canadian forest sector workforce, we'd love to hear from you. Please email us at freetogrowinforestry at cif-ifc.org. Together, we can move forestry forward.